Hi, welcome to the Complex Care Journal Club podcast. My name is Kilby Mann. I'm a pediatric physiatrist at Children's Hospital Colorado and your host for this episode. In this podcast series, we seek to discuss emerging evidence in the care of children with medical complexity and its implications for practice. I'm delighted to have Mark Britton, also from Children's Hospital Colorado, joining me today. He is the lead author of the article, Paid Family Caregiving for Children with Medical Complexity, published online in Pediatrics in June of 2023. Mark, thanks so much for being here. We were talking before we got started that though Mark and I work at the same institution, we don't cross paths all that often, so this is a fun opportunity to talk about the work that you're doing. Yeah, thanks for having me, and thanks for the opportunity to discuss this work. Can you start with the gap you identified in your research aims? Yeah, so the way I came across this idea was actually just through my clinical work as a hospitalist. Uh, I came across some families where I found out that the parent or relative was actually providing CNA care at home to the child. And typically these would be children with uh, complex medical conditions. And I thought it was a really interesting idea. And so when I went back into the literature to, to see if there was anything on this topic, there was very little in the pediatric space. And so the gap in knowledge was one of the gaps that I wanted to address with this research. But the other gaps are really for these families who often have to uh, take care of their children's medical needs at home without being compensated. They may have to give up other employment opportunities. There's obviously financial implications for their families. There's uh, stress and burnout from you know, hours and hours of, of family caregiving at home. And so the sort of policy gap here is really trying to support these families by allowing them to be compensated for work that they would already be doing, which is taking care of their children at home. So I think before we get started about the outcomes of your research, it might be good just to set some background about exactly what this program is for paid caregiving in Colorado. Yeah, so at a very high level, basically in order to qualify for this program, the, the child needs to qualify for Medicaid. So it is a Medicaid program. And then there's actually an assessment that's called the Pediatric Home Assessment Tool that is used to identify what CNA care needs this child would qualify for. So not only whether the child would qualify for CNA care, but also how many hours of care per week. Uh, Once that's established, then the family caregiver, usually it's the parent, has to be trained as a CNA. So needs to go through uh, one of the approved training programs to be a CNA, and then actually has to take a written and clinical exam So again, for for someone who doesn't speak English, for example, this can all be a little bit more difficult. Once they're licensed as a CNA, then they can actually be hired by one of the home health companies to start providing the care for their child at home. Thanks. I think that's great background. It's something I wasn't as knowledgeable about either until I came here. And the work I do on our inpatient pediatric rehabilitation unit with kids with new diagnoses, it's often something that we're able to bring up to the families that this is an opportunity is the way to provide the care that your child now needs and get paid for it. So it's a really great program we have here in Colorado. Can you tell us a little bit more about the methods you chose? Yeah, so this was a qualitative study. I was lucky enough to have a great research team, and I'll just acknowledge that team now. So Katya Chavez was the project manager and conducted all the interviews. Christy Blakely is the executive director for Family Voices, which is a parent-led advocacy group. She was one of the co-authors. And Dr. Brooke Dorsey Holloman and Dr. Jeannie Zook are qualitative experts or methodologists that helped with this. We've actually looked at this program in two different ways. One was more of a quantitative analysis that 
we did with Dr. Um, Carolyn Foster, who is uh, in primary care at Northwestern. We did a separate paper looking at some of the quantitative findings associated with this program. Um, but we really wanted to get in-depth information through interviews of multiple stakeholders, essentially, because there were just really wasn't anything about this in the literature. And so we actually chose to interview the family caregivers themselves. We interviewed home health care administrators, and then we also interviewed primary care providers just to kind of get a 360 view of this program. Yeah, I think that's great to get that perspective of the three big entities involved when we think about this program. Um, as you think about your key findings, um, what are some of the key ones and were there any differences between those three groups that you interviewed? I think there was a lot of similarity between the groups. I would say the one group that knew less about the program were the primary care providers in general. I think those clinicians that work in complex care programs, like our special care clinic at Children's Hospital Colorado, were more informed and knew more about it, whereas those that were out in the community or in rural practices, I think knew a little bit less and had fewer resources available to them to help families navigate some of the eligibility criteria and some of those questions. Obviously, the home health care administrators were, in general, very favorable towards this program, and so were the family caregivers themselves. In fact, Universally, they all said that they would recommend this program to another family if asked. However, they did identify some barriers. And I think a lot of the challenges that we identified came actually from the family caregiver perspective. So that was really interesting. Yeah, I think one of the challenges that I've seen in my work here since we're both in Colorado with this program is that we're talking about kids that are maybe more susceptible to longer hospital admissions. And when these kids get admitted, then their family caregiver is no longer getting paid. So it adds this extra stress. So there's all these positive findings that the caregivers were able to verbalize in the study. And then also the struggle where if your kid gets sick, all of a sudden that income is gone for the period that they're in the hospital. Yeah, that's a great point. It's actually not something I was aware of until we did this study and it came out quite often. It did give me a little bit of insight into why some of these families are asking to go home. I think there really is a need for them to earn their income. And while the child is in the hospital, they can't actually get paid to do the work. But these families, through many years of working with these children who are, again, some of the most medically complex children, often they have significant developmental disabilities. Um, they rely on medical technologies such as ventilators and, and feeding machines and uh, gastrostomy tubes and so forth require a ton of care, sometimes 24-7 care at home. And so the parents themselves or the family caregivers become really experts in the care of these children such that when they come into the hospital, we often rely on them for their expertise and they know when something's not right more often than we do. Absolutely. As you were developing and conducting your study, what opportunities and challenges did you identify with this work? Yeah, that's, that's really an excellent question. Qualitative research takes a lot of investment of time and energy, and I really enjoyed this. I haven't done a lot of qualitative uh, research myself, but it, it was really amazing to really just read through the transcripts and even talk to some of the families and like hear of their experiences and just a lot of authentic emotion behind those experiences. So, so that was really cool. I, I really enjoyed doing this work, but it did take a lot of time and, and investment 
uh, resources. I'm grateful that the uh, National Institute of Nursing Research supported the study. Um, so we had funding for it. Again, we had a great team and we had collaboration from our community-based partners and advocacy groups. There was a lot of enthusiasm, not only from families, but also from home health care companies to really help us do this work. So from that standpoint, it actually was quite easy. One of the interesting challenges that we ran into is that we designed the study before the COVID pandemic. So we weren't really even thinking about COVID itself. However, once we started the interviews, that was in 2020, that's when COVID was starting up and ramping up. And we actually got quite a lot of perspective on how this program helps during a pandemic, you know, specifically thinking about how these families lost a lot of their home-based services, whether it was CNA support, nursing, therapists, they couldn't go into the office. So really having a paid family caregiver in the home to take care of a lot of those things was extremely helpful. And we actually have some more data that we're analyzing that we're hoping to publish more on the COVID impact. But, you know, like, for example, we had to convert our interviews to virtual interviews. We, were, we had hoped to do them in person. That was one impact of COVID. And it may have influenced responses, like maybe there was a little bit more social isolation during COVID. So that came out quite heavily as one of the drawbacks for these family caregivers is burnout and isolation. But that may have been exacerbated by the pandemic itself. So I think one of the challenges of the work was that it started without knowing about the pandemic, and then the pandemic had its impact on the study with, without our control. Definitely a challenge. None of us would have known to prepare for back when you were planning this study. The other thing that's, I think, an opportunity for this kind of work is just leveraging it for like advocacy and policy changes. And that's not something that I'm very well versed in. I'm hoping to learn more about how I can bring this from the research world into more of an advocacy and policy change uh, world. We do need more research, but eventually we need to translate what we find into palpable change to help these families. So I think that's one of the things that we can learn is as clinical researchers and health services researchers is some of those advocacy skills to really translate this to policy change. I was thinking about that and reading some of the challenges and limitations with the program and with the study you know, from my perspective, we're, all, we're often bringing up this program as a new option with a new diagnosis that has changed how a child is functioning and needing more help, but we're limited to the children who live in Colorado. And here, for those that don't know, in Children's Hospital Colorado, we serve a multi-state, large geographic region. And so it's something that's available to some kids we take care of, but not all kids we take care of because of where they live. And if this is such a great program with some really great positive feedback from families, again, how we advocate that surrounding states, national level, that this be an opportunity, especially as the home health care shortage is still very much a thing, I think, for many of our patients that we're caring for. And here's this great opportunity to take parents who are already getting the training to take care of their kids, and some of whom, like you alluded to, are already having to scale back their work in order to provide the care that their children need. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, every state Medicaid program is run differently, and there are other states that have other kinds of programs. And Colorado actually has different programs than this one for taking care of children with special health care needs. So one of the outgrowths of this research for me was learning about these other programs. Like, again, these other programs came up in the interviews, and I was like, I don't really even know about these. So I think there's a, a lot of opportunity from this research to hone the program, the family CNA program, but also to learn about other programs and again, disseminate those findings to stakeholders elsewhere, which I think, as you alluded to, 
I think there's a thirst. The policymakers get to decide to some extent what programs they implement or what they can implement, but they really don't have a lot of guidance in the literature to support what they do. So the more that we can provide on the research side, the more that it helps not only local policymakers, but those in other states. As we think about the results, are there other specific implications for clinical practice? Specifically, what do you recommend for members of the interprofessional care team for children with medical complexity based on your findings? Yeah, I think this relates a little bit to my previous answer and to what you've been saying about, you know, helping families when they first come to your clinic, for example, to have this option to be employed and paid as a family caregiver. Um, I think that there are many families out there who may be eligible and would benefit, but may not be aware of this program. And at least I hope that the study can bring some awareness and some of the other studies that we have recently published can bring awareness to the medical community and to clinicians. And I think it's important for healthcare providers of children with medical complexity just to dedicate some time to ask about life at home, to see, you know, how things are going. And that may open an opportunity to understand whether they have all the help or or the services that they need or are eligible for. So I think there's a certain amount of um, education of clinicians, but I also think about trainees, nurses, and community-based partners who can help spread the word. What was one of the interesting things that we found in the study was that even though this family CNA program has been around since 2001, it's not universally well-known. And some family members who interviewed just said that they learned from a, another parent in the hospital about it, or you know, a random nurse mentioned it. So I think in terms of clinical practice, I think just having the awareness of this will help clinicians to more readily help these families. And I think one of the things we were thinking about before is like, what are the messages for patients and families? And I think you just alluded to that. And I think just as a comment, I think it's great that you partnered with Family Voices on this. And I think the more we can elevate the voices of the caregivers, the people with the lived experience to inform what we do both clinically and from a research perspective, I think is really helpful. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, there was another organization um, that I failed to mention that helped us called El Grupo Vida, which really helped us recruit some of the Spanish-speaking family caregivers. It's another community-based organization that helps and supports families who have children with special needs, particularly, you know, Spanish-speaking families. They really helped us kind of overcome that barrier. What do you think are some of the other important next steps from your work? Yeah, I get overwhelmed thinking about that. There's so many potential next steps here. Um, Again, I think we'll try to publish the information that we have on how this program interacted with the COVID pandemic and and how positive it was for families to have that resource during the pandemic. I'm very interested in doing more research in this area and particularly looking at other programs that have not been published uh, or, or evaluated, but that just have different eligibility or waiver requirements. And I'm also interested in thinking of ways that we can improve the family CNA program, because although it's really positively viewed, there were some issues with it that I haven't really mentioned, but some of those related to lack of respite for the family caregivers, and some of them were socially isolated and were prone to depression, uh, mental health issues because of the chronicity of this caregiving. Some may have even felt trapped by the financial incentive. So uh, there's some work that we can do potentially 
or research that we can do to look at ways to provide more respite or to look at the mental health outcomes of family caregivers. Much of that has been done in caregivers for older adults. And I think we can do more of that in pediatric family caregiver space. And then there were some other problems with the training. So the training was not standardized necessarily. Um, For some of the parents, it was a longer process versus being shorter for others. Some couldn't read the materials because of uh, language barriers uh, or take the tests because of language barriers. And then others were just like, I don't have the time to do this. My child is constantly in the hospital. It's very hard for me to get away to do the training to become a CNA, which is not something I discussed. Um, There's some barriers to the training. A lot of the training has to do with geriatric care and, and nursing home care. So it's not necessarily applicable for pediatric care either. So those next steps, I think, are are there as well, the potential to make improvements to the program. Again, trying to disseminate this work and put it into the hands of people that can actually use it for policy change, I think is what I'm looking forward to. I think that's great. Do you have any other advice or lessons learned to share with other researchers in this field? I think there's a lot of people doing this work clinically, maybe not as much on the research and and any lessons learned to share with people who might be interested in taking that next step. Well, I think, you know, my research wasn't necessarily in this domain, but it kind of like struck me during the course of my clinical work. And I think pay attention to something that really like during the course of what you're doing clinically that you may find very interesting or different and then look to see if there's anything established in that area, because that's kind of how I got involved in this research, to be honest. And I'm very happy that I did. But I'm an inpatient-focused pediatrician, and this area of research is really about community and home-based care, so it's a little bit different. I don't think I have the perspective that some of my colleagues in primary care or subspecialty colleagues who see patients in clinic have, but certainly I feel like I'm, it's not out of my realm Yeah, it seems like one of the things you're really able to take advantage of is knowing who your partners could be to really access some of the families you needed, like the Spanish-speaking families. So I think that, to me, that's a lesson I I learned from this, was that reach out to the supports you have around you that might open up some doors for you. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Again, I think there's a lot of interest, like if your partners are really excited about helping with this research, and there are a lot of home health folks that are really interested in supporting this kind of research. So that's been really positive. They can provide a ton of information. Um, and I got to El Grupo Vida through probably Family Voices or through one of the home health agencies. One thing led to another, and you have to be just be open to those opportunities. And funding is important. Um, I think you really have to find the time and opportunity to get funding because without the NIH funding, we wouldn't have been able to do this work. For listeners that want to learn more about this topic, again, one of my colleagues at Northwestern, Dr. Carolyn Foster, has published uh, in the home health family caregiving space quite a bit. You know, if you're interested in this topic, then I think her work would be interesting to read in the medical literature. And then there's also the home health care companies themselves in Colorado will have information about different family caregiving programs on their websites. The Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment also has information about these programs. And then for those like me who really uh, don't have a lot of background in like Medicaid policy and all the waivers and some of the more technical eligibility questions about this, the National Academy for State Health Policy has put out a couple of different publications 
one of them is titled Medicaid Support for Family Caregivers. And then there was another one that's more specific to family caregivers of children and youth with special health care needs. So those are articles that give a little bit more background on the Medicaid aspect of this, which I think can be quite helpful. Thank you so much for your time, Mark. And thank you to you and your team for advancing the field of complex care. Thanks for listening to the Complex Care Journal Club podcast. We aim to highlight research that has the potential to be practice changing, that values patient family engagement, is relevant across disciplines and diagnoses, and uses high quality or novel research methods. We invite you to join the conversation by suggesting an article that you would like to see discussed in this podcast using the form provided on the Open Pediatrics YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us.